I'm joined with Dougie Fisher, the one and only Dougie Fisher. How we doing tonight, brother? I, I'm uh, I'm drained, man. I'm always like, there's always like an emotional fatigue whenever I watch Chocolatito fight. And Ramon Gonzalez defended, uh, you know, a title, a WBA title at 115 pounds against an unknown kid. But I knew the kid would be tough. And, you know, he's had so many fights and so many wars for really he's been sort of elite level for 10 years. And guys in those lighter weight classes, they burn out pretty quick. Like being 33 for them is like being 45 if you're a middleweight or light heavyweight, you know. Um, so I never know. Um when he steps in the ring, if that's going to be his last fight, like if he literally hits the wall because of his style, he has never changed his style. He keeps going up in weight and he always challenges himself. And he's this volume puncher, this pressure fighter, who's always cutting off the ring, always working, does a great job of blocking punches as he's delivering combinations. But you're going to get hit, you know, with that kind of style, with the search and destroy mindset, a fighter's going to take some punishment. Obviously, he's taking punishment over a Hall of Fame-worthy career. So I never know if, you know, the night he steps into the ring, regardless of the opponent, if that's going to be his last night. And I'll be crushed, and it's going to happen sooner or later. It might be his next fight because um, Juan Francisco uh, Estrada uh, retained his WBC and Ring Magazine junior bantamweight title in like a fight of the year candidate against a former title holder, Carlos Quadras. I tweeted out, get these guys in a time machine and send them back to the forties. Cause their balls were too big for this era. Like just the heart both guys showed. No, really like they looked like I, I'm thinking this, the entire fight, the Estrada Quadras fight. I'm thinking like, you know, if you made it black and white, right. And you had a little bit of a grainy quality to it. I think I'm watching Tony Canzanari and Barney Ross. Like they just had that all around game. They've got craft, they've got skill, but they're just so scrappy. They're going to just stick their noses in it and they're going to take some risks and yeah, they're going to get dropped, you know, and, and uh, Quadros was out of it really after that first knockdown around 11. Ref could have waved it off after the second knockdown, um, but, you know, Quadros had made up his mind that he's going to go out on a shield. And that's an old school decision to make, by the way. It's just like, you know, don't save me anyone. I'm going out, you know, and I'm glad the ref did save him, but um, yeah, I'm always like those type of fights. I'm kind of emotionally uh, vested in them, and it's been a long week. It's actually been a long. You know, we we put uh, we put the most recent issue of Ring Magazine to bed um, Thursday afternoon, and that last week of the magazine cycle is like twenty four seven. I'm just yeah. you know, I'm editing and proofreading and straining my eyes and my brain and trying to fix little problems that pop up and trying to, you know, um, along with the editorial staff, there's an art director, Lamar Clark, managing editor, Brian Hardy, and associate editor, Tom Gray, where like, you know, we, we're trying to, to fine tune the cover because that's so important to have a, a, a tight cover, you know, and just, you know, catch whatever mistakes before, because once, you know, it's print, once you send it to the printers, they got it and it's, it's hard copy. And you can't go into no publishing tool and change mistakes. So, you know, there's that stress or whatever. So, this, you know, put that to bed. And then, like, there's all this, all this correspondence, phone calls and emails that have come in since Monday that I've just held off because I'm 100% focused on this magazine, you know. And, you know, so then, like, I don't even get a chance to, like, just kind of 
you know, take a victory nap or something like that. You know, it's like I'm answering. I, I, I immediately call these people back and I'm on the phone for like three hours straight. And then I, I, I cranked out the ring ratings update. And uh, then I had the mailbag. It's a Thursday. I had my mailbag. So long story short, I went to bed like uh, 4 a.m. and slept. I, I had set my alarm. A younger Dougie would have got up at 10 and been fine, you know. I set, I set my alarm for 10:30. Uh, I'm figuring, all right, you know, six six and a half hours sleep, I'll be okay. Man, I couldn't get out of bed. I got out of bed like a little after almost 12:30, you know. After yeah. afternoon. I mean, you know, to your credit, dude, you're like definitely one of the hardest working people in the business. With you know the Dougie's mailbag on Monday, everything yeah. that you do for Ring Magazine. By the way, you talked about covers of magazines. All right. Yeah. You guys had some tremendous covers of magazines recently, and I know you're a big comic book guy. I'm going to go there in a moment. Oh, sure. You you had one recently. Uh, within, I'm going to say, the last maybe half year, six months. Uh, we all lose track of time nowadays. I know. <laughs> you had a great artist do the, you know, the illustration for the cover, and I thought that was very unique. I thought that was very yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, you know what? When When I first came on, when I, when I first um, uh, took on the editor-in-chief mantle, um, I think that year, um, our fighter of the year was, was Vasily Lomachenko. Mm -hmm. And it was this, this was the year where he had three fights and he capped the year um, with that fight against Guillermo Rigondeaux. So he, was, he wasn't even a lightweight yet. So this was two, uh, 2017, yeah. So um, – the magazine that I came in on was like the year-end awards magazine. So it was all, you know, uh, we're, we're figuring out who's who or what. And um, I was on the phone with Lomachenko's manager. And I was asking about photos, you know, just like, you know, kind of candid in the gym photos. You know, we, we've got access to Getty Images. So there's a lot of photos of him there. And then Mikey Williams with Top Rank. He's been a good friend of the magazine and he sends us his best stuff. Um, you know, long story short, we went with a Mikey Williams, um, cover and it was fine. But, um, in, in talking to Agus, Agus told me that, you know, he's like an agent for this Russian artist and the artist is, was kind of had like a comic book style, kind of had a surreal style. And you may have seen this image, but it's like a, it's, I think it's a painting of, maybe it's not a painting. Maybe it's a drawing. I think it's a drawing. It's a colored drawing. And it's like Lomachenko is, he's like half tank. <laughs> like, like he's got like a torso, but like his, he's got like a tank. His bottom half is a tank. And there's all these little Lomachenkos jumping like over his shoulders. It was surreal. It was weird. It was like, it had this Salvador Dali kind of feel to it. Um, and I, and I just, he, he, he sent it to me on my, in my phone and I immediately thought, Maybe this could be the cover, and um, and I told I told Agus this right, and Agus got real excited, like, oh man, you know, and then he sent me like he told the artist, and the the artist made like a, a Ring magazine mock-up cover, right? So he put that artwork with the with the Ring magazine logo and sent it to me. I loved it, and I pitched it to the the editorial staff, say, hey, what do you guys think? And they were like, oh. It's like Doug, you know, this is this is Vasily Lomachenko, right? It's not like Mike Tyson, or even a Floyd Mayweather. Like, he's still not really known. Like, hardcore fans know who he is, but what are people going to think when they see this? Are, 
I think they're going to know this is even a boxing magazine. And, uh, and I let them, I let, I let them talk, talk me out of it, but it was weird. I had this regret and I felt bad for the artist too. I was like, damn, I got his hopes up. And of course I was like, I, but you know, and like, like my favorite ring magazine cover, when I saw this in the newsstands, like in 1989, 1990, maybe it's probably 1990. Um, it was a drawing very cartoony drawing of a, a, a bald, fat, you know, 40-something George Foreman going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Mike Tyson because that was like a possible fight, right? It could happen. Foreman was making his comeback and climbing the heavyweight ladder and winning believers with each fight, and, and Mike Tyson was Mike Tyson. Even after Buster Douglas, he was still, you know, if he wasn't the baddest man on the planet, he was the biggest star in boxing. And obviously no still super <laughs> dangerous, right? No doubt. <laughs> and so you had like this legend, you know, from the 70s and this, this the, the man from the 80s kicking off this new decade. And, and Ring Magazine did like kind of like, I guess you would call it a mythical matchup cover, but it was a drawing. Uh, and not, not like Leroy Neiman or like we have Richard Sloan now, like this like fine, fine art painting. This was, it was kind of like a rough sketch almost. And I saw this magazine in the, in, the, uh, in the newsstands. This is during my college years. So I went to college in Yellow Springs, Ohio. So this is in Xenia, Ohio. Um, and I had, I had a favorite newsstand. And literally, I would buy like 10 or 11 boxing magazines, like every month or every other month. There were that many out there, you know. And um, uh, I think I bought at least three copies of this. Like I treated it like a comic book, like, like a collector's edition. So I bought it. I put one in plastic, one I read, and then the other one I tore the, I, I, I removed the cover and put it on my dorm room wall. I had a lot of stuff. I had a lot of like boxing stuff, you know, on, on my dorm room wall. And I put that up there just because I, I loved it that much. So a little, little bit later on, uh, maybe like a year and a half, maybe two years later. Yeah. Cause this is not, it was, it was maybe the start of, no, it was the end of 2019, and I'm thinking about doing um, an issue on the new stars of the sport, and I had noticed uh, an artist had done a cartoon uh, for, the, uh, for the Alvarez Golovkin rematch, and it was one of these interesting cartoons where it starts out, they're fighting, and there's two different endings. Like, they show you, like, you could, you follow the panels or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you know um there's 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 like it's almost like a maze and one maze ends to a uh an alvarez victory and the other maze leads to a, a triple g victory or whatever and i thought it was really clever and i liked the style of it and uh it went by Ron Art, and I, I i followed him on um instagram and maybe a week later he followed me so fast forward to the start of uh 2020 and I'm thinking um, maybe he can do the, like I'm thinking of an illustrated cover. And we kind of, I came up with a, cause I wrote the, the story for it. Like, you know, I, I, I chose like a, maybe a dozen young fighters, 25 years old or younger who had like something like star potential or they're, or they're already like, you know, like a Ryan Garcia. They already like, they're an Instagram social media star. Or, you know, or like Tank Davis, you know, already doing, you know, 14,000 fans in different locations and all that. Or or they just have the look 
of like a future champion, like, like Jerron Ennis and Virgil Ortiz Jr. or whatnot, you know? Um, and I, and I, I, I called the story top of their class. So we came up with like a yearbook, you know, head of the class um, concept. And this dude, and he, he did this artwork over here. Yeah, absolutely, man. Let's see it. Oh, good, man. I love it, man. Funkart.com. Yeah, this is like all the great legendary heavyweights. I love it. I just love the expression. Yeah, and I love the style. So he did it, man. And and yeah, we it's so funny because we still didn't quite have the confidence. So for that, like we we released that issue just to the subscribers, right? And you can buy it at the ring shop. But the the cover of that issue, I think it was April. Uh, 2020, the cover of that issue um, that went in stores on sale, uh, you know, wherever newsstands are, if they exist, or, you know, 7-Eleven, <laughs> Walgreens, Walgreens <laughs> and bookstores or whatever. Um, that was actually Floyd Mayweather on the cover as like, you know, fighter of the decade. Right. So, um, but yeah, I, I like the illustrated cover better. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. And run it back to like yesteryear with Ring Magazine. You know, I collected a lot over the years. Yeah. A lot of those early ones were, you know, with Muhammad Ali on it, Joe Frazier, Archie Moore, they were all illustrated. They, they weren't actual right. photos. They weren't this big glossy package that you got. And I used to love that magazine. I still love it to this day, but that's how I grew up on boxing yeah. because we didn't have the internet. So yeah. what did I do? I went out and I bought all the copies that I get my hands on when it was talked about, oh my, you know, this goes back to like maybe the mid nineties is Jones going to fight Trinidad, you know, yeah. is blah, blah, blah. You, you, we really didn't have the internet. So you couldn't research that. So when that hit the newsstand, you were just like, Oh, I get oh. my fix. The new rankings come in. It meant the world to you. Oh, and if something big happened in boxing, like Buster Douglas upsetting Mike Tyson, Man. You were going, now you read all, everything the newspaper writers would write, right? Um, and if you're in the right city, you got some good analysis, some good post-fight columns, right? So when that fight happened, I'm still in still my college years, but I was doing an in internship at the Boston Globe. So Boston, you had two really good boxing writers. You had Ron Borges with the Globe, um, and you had George Kimball with the Herald, the Boston Herald, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so... But then, you know, they, they, they write about it for a couple of days the week later, and then, you know, they're, it's back to baseball, <laughs> you know, or whatever else, you know. Um, and then, so you're going crazy waiting for Ring Magazine to drop. And, and like I said, back then, there was a bunch of them. So there was Ring, and out of the same publishing company, there was KO Magazine, um, and there was Boxing 1990 and World Boxing, and there was a magazine called Boxing Scene. Yes. If you were in a city like 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 Boston, there was also you, you could get some of the English, uh, you know, the, the British boxing magazines as well. But man, when those I came, used to get things mailed to me that I signed up for by yeah. way of like free magazine or whatever, and I fill out the back form yeah. to get yeah. it delivered to your house. Because mm -hmm. I mean we there was no podcast. There was very limited media. Like you said, it's like a newspaper would come in, give you the bullet point of what happened last night. But then as fight fans, like, you know, you have a great boxing brain. And I like to dig deep into the sport of boxing as well. So it's like you want more. You want get 
You want to get like right. affirmation on what you saw and what you felt. You want to know. Right. Like, I remember like when an HBO broadcast was done back in the day, I was like, no, don't end it now. I just want to hear Larry Merchant talk more. I want to hear George Foreman yeah. talk more. I want to hear Jim Lampley talk more. It's not enough. Because, I mean, back in the day, HBO, like you mentioned um, with Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas, they had a great piece that they did afterwards where they yeah. sat both fighters down and really examined it. Larry Merchant, like, I, I love that kind of stuff. Like, I cannot get enough of content. But um, speaking about illustrations, uh, I know you're a big comic book guy. I'm originally from New Jersey. Are you aware of a comic book store out there called Jay and Silent Bob's Secret Stash? Oh, yeah, 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 Secret Stash. <laughs> yeah, they were doing a show that was on one of those networks. I don't know, A&E or something like that. Yeah, Amazing. I watched that show, yeah. Amazing. So I know it's hard because you collect a lot of these things. What's your yeah. favorite uh, comic book series or superhero in comics? I mean, the X-Men were, that's the first comic that I started collecting. And that was like early 80s. I mean, I mean, like when I'm 10 and 11. So, you know, like 1980, 1981. Um, and I was even aware of it in the 70s. You know, I liked I liked com I would read comic books in the 70s. If they were like older kids in our neighborhood, they always had comic books. You know what I mean? They would have other contraband. You know what I mean? Like cigarettes or porn mags or whatever, or like, <laughs> you know, alcohol or whatever. And those, I mean, those were the cool kids, you know. You know, and the, and the music too. They would have the rock music, or you know, the 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 stuff for for those times that was like really hard. I mean, like like my friends and I, we liked you know, we liked Kiss, but they looked at that as you know, kind of like a a a, a, a kitschy glam band, you glam know, band, yeah. a, a merchandise band. You know, yeah. who doesn't like love kids, gun? No. Like who doesn't yeah. love love gun, man? <laughs> right? No, we loved it. I mean, that's but. <laughs> But, you know, they were older kids that might have been into Pink Floyd or whatever, right. or something like that. Or, you know, um, you know, even like, you know, Yes, or King Crimson and all. And Progressive like, rock. I'm a big progress, prog rock. rock. That's what, yeah, yeah, yep. prog rock, you know. I'm listen. a big Rush fan. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so you'd listen to, you know, you have the headphones, you know, that you'd listen to that music at their house and it'd be like, oh, my, this is like a completely different dimension, you know what I mean? It's like, so those. Those were the cool kids, but that like all those guys would have a box of comic books, you know, or they you know go to the you know their bedroom or whatever, and be like, oh, can I have these or whatever? And they, and their comic books were all you know often a little more you know it'd be like Ghost Rider and Dead Man and Deep. yeah a little more yeah, yeah like yeah. You know. well it's artsy yeah. always fascinating yeah always drawn in by the art not you know I was one of those little bookish kids that would actually read it or whatever. Um, but yeah, so the X-Men, and I, I collect the X-Men even to this day, you know what I mean? So I collected the X-Men throughout the 80s, but, um, you know, and a matter of fact, the more I was into comic books, the less I was into boxing, because my entree to boxing in the 70s was Muhammad Ali, and I wasn't aware of anything, a sport outside of Muhammad Ali. Ali was boxing, and who cares about all these other guys? He's the heavyweight champ. And he's, he's a larger-than-life personality, right? So the first fight that I ever marked in a TV guide saying, I'm going to watch this fight, was his heavyweight title defense against Ernie Shavers. And we were living in Columbus, Ohio at the time, and Shavers was an Ohio guy. So I remember the adults talking about it. And I remember the adults saying, Ali's old, Shavers can knock out anything. You know, if Ali does a rope-a-dope against Shavers, it's just no, he's going to get knocked out. You can't stand in front of Shavers and Ali can't dance for 15 rounds anymore. I remember them saying this to me like, 
I just discovered this guy. What? You know, and you, he can't, it can't end now. No, you know. And um, so I remember watching that. Fight. I remember telling my dad and his friends, no, Ali is the greatest. You know, Ali's, you know, he's the best. He's, yeah, he's going to yeah. win. You, you'll see. And he did, you know. So then, oh, I, I know something that these adults don't know. <laughs> felt really good. You know, he was really my guy. And then, you know, not long after that, you know, I became aware of Sugar Ray Leonard and started watching his fights live. And then I started noticing the next day in school, say Leonard fights on a Saturday afternoon, ABC, Wild World of Sports. And I'll tell you one fight in particular, when he knocked out Davy Boy Green, suddenly I discovered that these other kids, like during recess in the playground, they're boxing fans. They watch the fight because I can see them acting it out. Like one guy's, okay, I'm going to be Ray and you be Davy Boy. Boom, and land a left hook, and the dude, the other guy falls down, and I come by, and are you guys talking about the fight? You're talking about Sugar Ray Leonard? And then they are, and it's like, wow. So Sugar Ray became my guy going into the 80s. Um, but once he, re when he retired in 82, you know, I was just, you know, I was a, I was a, I was a casual fan. You know what I mean? I, I, I didn't know who Roberto Duran was until Ray fought him. I think I had an idea of who Tommy Hearns was just because I had come from Ohio and Michigan wasn't too far and people would talk about, but I didn't know him, know him. I, didn't, I wasn't watching Tommy Hearns' fights going into to the, the, the Leonard fight. So I learned about other talent through Leonard, learned about other weight classes through Leonard, you know. Um, obviously, he set the bar really high, man. <laughs> so, I mean, those fighters, but, yeah, dude, they were yeah. so inspirational. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, you know, when he retired, I kind of like lost interest, right? Okay. I mean, comic books were just so there was the X Men, there was the New Teen Titans, um, which I didn't collect. Uh, my next door neighbor did. So you know, I had a paper route. I, I only had so much money. I <laughs> like, now it's so amazing. You know, you're an adult and you have this disposable income. You're like, I can buy every damn comic book I want. You know. Well, I gotta tell you what we know as boxing fans, it yeah. costs a lot of money to be a boxing fan, man. Oh, no, it really does. Whether you, know, you work media you or done. whatever, it's some some way. At some point in time, you're going to pay for what it is that you're all obsessed about. Yeah, and, uh, you're bit by that bug. Absolutely. Oh, I, I, like you said right there, like Muhammad Ali was my dad's favorite fighter, one of my favorite of all time, Sugar Ray Leonard. The thing about Muhammad Ali, whenever I speak to anyone that knew Muhammad Ali, they say the same thing. And I find this very interesting. They said, if you're a painter, an electrician, a gardener, a doctor, whatever, that once you met Muhammad Ali, you got like 10 times better at what it is you do for a living. I was like, well, that is amazing. Fascinating, yeah. yeah. I'm like, whoa, that is incredible to hear. Um, also, what I want to do is tie in to what we were talking about with art. And uh, obviously, like, you know, the comic books, they're looking at the deep things like Ghost Rider and they're prog rock fans. So, you know, musicians and artists, it's like we go deep. So I noticed that you're a big music fan. In particular, I've noticed that your kids are playing music. Yeah. And they yeah. buy vinyls and they have good taste in music. Can you tell me about that? Well, you know what? I mean, like I, I listened to the stuff that my parents were listening to. So even in the 70s, like like I said, there was bands that obviously would appeal to me as a boy. Right. So Kiss, like right, right there. But I, I know who I know who Bob Dylan was, you know what I mean? Or the Isley Brothers because of what my mom and dad were listening to. You know, Sly and the Family Stone oh, yeah. was big in my house. Right. Oh, the Ohio yeah. Players big. So like the you know, like old school funk 
R&B, but also stuff that, you know, that my parents listened to when they were young. And my parents were young when I was born. You know, my dad was 19. My mom was like 21. Right. So I, you know, I, the seventies, they, they were in their twenties. So they, they, they have their music, but then there was also the music that they listened to when they were teenagers, like in the music they even remember from the fifties. So that was like James Brown. Um, I'll yeah. tell you one, uh, Marvin Gaye, Martin, Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell. Um, so like, I grew up listening just like a lot of different music, you know, and I had uncles that had their musical tastes and all, and, 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 and they, um, obviously they influenced us. So I will influence my daughters, but then they like, they come up with stuff that I'm, you know, maybe I would have shoved to the side just because, you know, whatever, it's some young guy with tattoos on his face, you know, and <laughs> whatever, and, and, you know, mumble rapper or whatever, but some of these guys, I, I mean, it. You know, they. Um, it, it's interesting that you know I can introduce them to certain you know, stuff that I like. You know, the type of movies, the genres that I like, and the music that I like, and then and then they'll take it and run with it. And then uh, you know, I'll, I'll wind up watching something or listening something that they're into and discover it. And at first, I thought, no, I'm not into that kind of stuff. But then I get into it. You know, you get I mean? older, you get more of an open mind. And the thing is, too. Yeah. You know, it's great for kids, uh, you know, and anybody to play music. It's good for your muscle memory, your hand-eye coordination. It all depends on the instrument, but it's all universal. I, I play drums, guitar, bass, piano. I don't sing. I can't sing to save my life. But all of it is good, and it's awareness of culture and art. Like you mentioned, funk. I love funk. Tower of Power, James Brown. You know, I love the old-school soul era. I love rap hip-hop reggae metal jazz everything pop yeah. punk you know as long as it's good it's got a good beat like i'm, I'm lucky i grew up with everything like there was nothing that my parents wouldn't listen to you know what i mean whether it's country music or classical music yep um and i remember my it was important for my mom to know who the, the classic composers were you know or the, the 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 great jazz artists uh you know to know their names and to be familiar with their work um, uh, my favorite of all time, Art Blakey, John Coltrane, yeah, you know, Miles, obviously, Miles yeah. Davis, this is remarkable, yeah. you know. So it's good that we have good parents, and it seems like you're doing the same thing, passing on, you yeah, know, the torch. So we're gonna keep going with entertainment, and then we're gonna get into boxing a little bit. Um, so are you a Star Wars fan? Let's talk about movies. A little I bit. like Star Wars, I'm not like you know, fanatical, you not know, super. I'm like yeah, like, what? you know, like, I'll put it this way. Like, I love the first, you know, the first three movies, you know, they, mm -hmm. I remember seeing them as a kid and it was a big deal. Um, and um, yeah, I just, I, I love the, the Star Wars mythos, the mythology of it. Absolutely. Um, I feel to it. But when the new ones came out, I just was kind of like, all right, we'll see. I, I wasn't like, you know, if you're like a super hardcore Star Wars fan, you know, you were like, don't ruin a good thing, you know, or hyper, like, I wasn't hypercritical about the movies and I didn't think they were that great. Although okay. I can go back and watch them now and really enjoy them. Mm -hmm. You know, the next three or like, I guess they were like prequels really. Yeah. They were prequels basically like the yeah. first episodes. Um, and I'll see them and, and, and just enjoy them. And I, and I, I oh, buy the Star Wars comic books when, uh, I guess when Disney bought them and, and bought, Marvel that uh, for a while the Star Wars comic books were 
uh, maybe it was Dark Horse or, you know, one of those, you know, more independent uh, comic book companies, but then they moved back to Marvel and um, I've, I've enjoyed them. I don't, I don't collect all of them, but um, definitely Darth Vader is one of the comic books that I, that I, I saw collect. that you posted that. I was really jealous. That's it. awesome, man. It's so yeah. good. <laughs> it's oh, dude, like, 100. It, I, I read stories, it online, but I don't have yeah. a physical copy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm weird. Like man, I got hold of it and have it, and yep. I swear, like we were in a record store, and I'm thinking, like, I should buy a record player. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, there's nothing like vinyl, man. I vinyl know. sounds beautiful. And start buying records again, which is oh, it's great. Nuts. Our house is filled with stuff. Like, there's no yeah, room. Same here, man. I got one more thing about my nerdism, as I call it. I have a lot of things that I'm into, like Star Wars, comics, whatever. Yeah. Transformers on Netflix. Have you seen this? No, no. Is this? Are you talking about the Transformer movie or? Okay, like they, they brought it back to uh, the old days where it was like the original thing from the eighties. That now, I used to watch. Was... Listen, I used to watch the cartoon. Oh yeah, I'm telling you, the cartoon. I think Phenomenal. I told the story once via Twitter. The cartoon let me know that I was a geek. And if somebody <laughs> called me a nerd or a geek, I'd be like, "No, I'm not." Cause I wasn't like a guy you could pick on or whatever. And in, in, in my family, you know, we all did sports and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. But we all right. went to the comic shop too and all. And people like friends of mine would be like, you're a nerd, Doug. I'd be like, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you really are. You know, like, you know, you're a nerd. I'd be like, you know, my friends telling me this or teasing me, but I would honestly, I'd be like, I, I don't see it. I don't see, you know, like trust. They would say, <laughs> trust us. You're a nerd. The way you dress, the stuff you're into, you are a nerd. I'd be like, no, I'm not. And they're like, dude, you watch, uh, what was it? It wasn't the, it wasn't the Transformers. Uh, it was, um, Thundercats, Thundercats. man. Yeah, Thundercats. <laughs> uh, you watched, wait, you watched, you watched Thundar the Barbarian and you watched Thundercats. I'm like, yeah. Oh, and they're like, you, dude, that's for kids. I'm like, no, it isn't. Mm -mm. And they'd be like, whatever, you're in denial, which I was in denial, right? <laughs> so the, the Transformer movies come out, and my, my friend, this guy named Dave Beecham, lived in my neighborhood, and we, we geeked out on the same stuff. Mm -hmm. We were beside ourselves. We were so excited about this. Like, I can't believe it. A movie. It's going to be like two hours of this. I can't wait. We can wait. Finally, opening day comes. We go to the mall. We're, I mean, like, we're jumping as we're walking to the mall, like, Oh, I can't. This is Springfield, Missouri, Battlefield Mall. And um, we get in the line and it just hits me. Suddenly, and we're way back there. I'm looking way at the, you know, the line, all the way going to the movie. Like, we're outside of the movie theater. So we're kind of like in the mall with the, like the general traffic or whatever, standing in line for this movie. And I'm noticing everybody is a kid with their mom. There weren't even dads there. It was just like little boys with mommy and I'm like oh crap <laughs> and I didn't yeah. say anything but I suddenly got embarrassed because we're actually out in the, like you know the mall there's girls our age you know from you know whatever middle school or high school and you know whatever they're walking with their boyfriends or big groups of girls or whatever and I'm like I kind of suddenly I wanted to hide like oh crap <laughs> and my friend's like oblivious he's like aren't you excited man I mean this is Optimus Prime dude and I'm just kind of like it, keep it kind of low key. Let's just kind of stand here like we're not in line or whatever. But whatever, I, we love the movie. I still, I still had a good time. But it's like the, movie, it the, the soundtrack of Transformers, the movie, the storytelling. Now, obviously, they want to kill off a lot of OG characters because they huh. want to sell new toys. But when oh. Optimus Prime died, and I had to deal with 
that in the same year with Apollo Creed dying in Rocky IV. Oh, and it so yeah. happened to be that the same guy that was the composer of the soundtrack of those both movies was the same composer. So Really? This, yeah, yeah, Vince DiColi. He did uh, Rocky IV, did Transformers the movie. Yeah. And, and that, so basically the thing on Netflix right now is uh, a callback to that, much more violent, sure. uh, much more. It's not for kids. Like, right. you know, I, I have an 11 year old stepdaughter and she's like, I want to watch this. And I had like, you know, my wife screen it, like make sure like, yeah, I'm like, cause they they whack characters early. It's like boardwalk empire. <laughs> bro. Like they just... but, but what's the style? Does it, is the, is the animation style like the, the eighties or is it like uh, more anime or what they did is very CGI, very unique. I've never seen oh, animation, okay. quite, but it's very detailed. It, yeah. It's beautiful. Like, it, it, you yeah, know, this yeah there's, there's certain anime cartoons like that that i watch that are hyper violent one is baki oh man this is the other is uh kengan ashura and you could tell it's like this computer generated but it's mm -hmm. very detailed you know uh, the detail like you I said they show cuts in their faces they yeah. show like bags under their eyes shop worn yeah whoever whoever did this they i was pleasantly surprised like with cobra kai when it came out i'm like wow this yeah. is something from you know, back in the day that I grew up with, and this is fantastic. Yeah, we're one. But, that's, uh, that's that's one. That's a that's a show that we watch as a family, or my wife and I will watch that with our twelve-year-old. The sixteen-year-old isn't that into it. The stuff that she likes is a little more adult. You know, like honestly, probably in, improper for a sixteen-year-old. Yeah, but whatever. It's too late now. <laughs> oh yeah, too much I have one of my students come over the house. Girl today to my studio and they were saying like, they're 12 years old and he's like dude i just watched scarface last night you ever seen that movie I'm like you watch scarface but then i think about yeah, it right. when i was like seven eight years old i was watching you know porky's police academy yeah. and then sure. sometimes your parents in a the room they say cover your eyes and then you do that if you like the little, yeah like, yeah. Cover. <laughs> yeah well we're the generation of like the the you know home, uh, home box office you know the movie channel and that stuff so you were able to we got more R-rated content or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so, like, the, the series, my 16-year-old and I will watch. Like, we're watching um, it's Eastbound and Down. She just, she heard oh, me. Oh, Kenny <laughs> Powers. It's, it's raunchy. It's raunchy stuff. But, like, we, we like that. Yeah. She's a, yeah. Um, what season then, yeah, are you on? Just, what, season? what was that? What season are third you on season. right now? Oh, the third, so you already last, went to Mexico, season. right, with Stevie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. Who writes this? I mean, I know he does. You know, I know the actor does. You know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Did you hear my, my daughter just said Jody Hill. She follows <laughs> the stuff real closely. She knows who the director is, who wrote it. She gets that All from that you because you pay attention to detail. And that's where I wanted to go in the next segment here. Uh boxing, your detail to when whether you commentate or write something, Doug, or just talk on a podcast like we're doing right now. It's so obvious. That's why I want to go through the comic books and the movies and the art and all that kind of stuff. Because I know something about that, but in a very different way. But I can appreciate what anyone does that really gets invested, right? Because I know yeah. when I listen to a guy like you, it comes from a purist standpoint. It comes from someone that really cares about the game, the sport of boxing. Uh, we talked about what got your interest in Muhammad Ali, obviously, and uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, when did you start covering the sport? So, 
See, I moved to LA in 1993, I, I think September or October of 93. And I worked for a, a, a newspaper, a weekly newspaper um, in that area of South Central that was hit pretty hard by, by the riots. And it was Absolutely. still dilapidated. Yeah, it was still run down um, in the aftermath. Um, it's called Wave Newspapers. And uh, they had a sports section and an editor who just wasn't into boxing. You know what I mean? So um, I think I, I, I think in 94, I started pitching him because I was going to the shows, right? I was going to yeah. shows that were at uh, the, the Great Western Forum and, um, you know, some, some club shows that would be in the Valley areas, um, you know, the Reseda Country Club. Um, and I think, yeah, there, in fact, one of those club show promoters from the Valley um, st started uh, doing shows at the Olympic. They were calling it the Grand Olympic Auditorium at the time. And um, so I think this was, he wasn't interested. He was like, you know, I don't care if you freelance. I don't want <laughs> boxing sucks or whatever, which was insane. because It's wildly <laughs> popular in Southern California, you know. Um, but when I left the newspaper, I started doing stringing for other newspapers. There was a rival newspaper that served the African-American community uh, called The Sentinel. And so I, I started doing show, I started covering shows for them. And uh, I think the first um, article that I had published in, in The Ring, I might have it somewhere around here. I think that was in, um, it's probably late 94, but on the cover it said January 1995. I remember Mike Tyson was on the cover. Um, he had just gotten out of jail, and it was the McNeely fight or whatever. That, that's, a, um, that's a big. That's a big. And it was just right it was just that. a one page thing. Yeah, it was just yeah, a, still, that's, that's a, Let me, let me yeah, see if I absolutely. That, that's a big news story in boxing because we all know where we were when Mike got released and Mike came back oh, yeah. and he started. Oh, we all know where we were. Like you said before about Muhammad Ali. You know, uh, being larger than life, especially Mike too. You know, like he was that guy that everyone focused on and paid. It's to this day, he he does it. Okay, so I said January '95. No, it was December '95. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was this one. Oh, awesome! So it was after the fight, and um, it was just one page, and it was actually that story about that club show promoter bringing fights back to the Olympic because I, I don't think there had been regular shows at the Olympics, you know, I don't know, 10 years or something like that. Um, let's see, and here it is, right here. It was the, the what they would call Look the round one column. I don't know if you can see my byline. Where I would got it? Oh, yeah, it, I can see it. It's right here in the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's awesome, man. What an accomplishment. Yeah, and that's very, that's very that Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, that was really, and that was Steve Farhood. He was, Steve Farhood was the editor-in-chief of the magazine. And I used to write him letters and pitch him stories. And yeah, so Steve Farhood was um, editor-in-chief of Ring Magazine in the 90s, um, at least when I first started uh, sending out letters, you know, um, proposing stories. And um I would handwrite them, or no, maybe I would type them up. I think he would handwrite them on like uh, Ring Magazine stationery, and whatever. Two or three weeks later, I would get a letter with him shooting down every story. Basically, <laughs> saying, "No, we've done that. Keep trying. Not bad, you know." Um, 
and I bug them for a while. And then um, I started working out at a, a gym called the LA Boxing Club. And Shane Mosley was training there. And I'd seen Shane fight um, earlier in the year. This is 95. And uh, he, he blew me away. Like, he was just, he was amazing. I was like, why, how is this guy a club fighter? <laughs> like, I mean, he was mowing through dudes that gave other world-class fighters hell. He was just mowing them down. And um, so I pitched a story on Shane probably in 96. And Farhood would say, yeah, Shane's, Shane's a, a, a real talent. He was a good amateur. Um, just missed making the 1992 team. But he's got a reputation. Like either, you know, it's either him or his dad. His dad you know, um, is difficult to deal with. They didn't get signed by any major promoter, which at that time would have been top rank or main events or who else? Yeah, who, or Don King. Don King, that yeah, was Don King yeah. Yeah, that was the big three, DKP, top rank, main events. And he wasn't, he was, you know, his dad uh, signed him to a, a, a smaller promoter, kind of regional, and, uh, and they weren't even getting along. So Shane wasn't even fighting. You know, he was, you know, one of these years. It might have been 96. Like, he only fought twice, and it was dropped from the rankings and stuff like that. And um, Far would say, you know, if he can get out of this legal trouble, you know, if he can get aligned with, like, a promoter that can at least get him active and get him on TV, that's a story we'd be into. Um, and he did eventually um, – I think it was Tom Loeffler, I think – the, they brought in Tom Loeffler as an advisor and, and Loeffler knew Cedric Kushner because Kushner may have promoted Kevin Kelly, who Tom Loeffler managed. And um, they put them together and, and Kushner had a good relationship with Lou DiBella and HBO. And long story short, Shane gets a title fight. And as soon as Shane got that title fight, um, Farhood might've called me, I don't know, or, you know, either or maybe by mail said, oh, you could do that, that Shane Mosley story now. So I did that and it was in this one, it wasn't long after, it was 97. So not long after the summer of 97 when uh, Shane Mosley beat Philip Holiday for the IBF title. And this was my first feature story in Ring Magazine. Huge, I mean, huge thrill. Here we go. Shane Mosley. So I'm talking That's about this dude. Up. I remember I this, dude. I remember this. Yeah. I have a lot of these facts uh, issues from Ring Magazine, bro. And th right. That's the thing is that you remember it's very iconic because, again, that's all we had at that point. We sure. had that story. We had what someone is telling you about that's credible in the industry. Someone that really is on the beat and trying really hard with beautiful uh, photography because – you know, nowadays you go to Google, you look at Sugar Shane Mosley, type in hit images, you're going to get thousands of them. Yeah. But there wasn't right. many of those back then. We didn't have right. that. No. And, and I mean, the way I, I mean, the way I would hoard these magazines, I mean, I would read them so often that you fall apart, just like boxing books. I'd read them. So, and I wouldn't just read them. I'd, I'd write in them. You know, I'd go through, there's some of these that I have where, you know, this one's special to me because it's my first byline, right? But other ones that I have from this era, if you go to the rankings, you'll see like underline, I'm circling, I'm like doing, you know, fantasy matchups or whatever, you know, and 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 what would happen if these two fought, and then I move a little line up to another guy and you know, I'm linking them and all this stuff. And 
putting my own notes, putting in my own like ratings order or whatever. So like yeah. I, I seriously geeked over this stuff. So when I, when I finally got like a byline of a, of a feature story in the magazine, I felt this confidence to where it's like, you know, I, I was already a writer. I was, you know, I was a news writer, news reporter, and, you know, I was like, like a copy editor, but I was thinking, well, I, I can do more. I can write more about boxing and started thinking about that other magazines to, to, to be published in. But at the same time, the internet was beginning to, to gain some steam by 97 and 98. And, and, and I was lucky. I bumped into one of these like technical wizards, you know, webmasters, you know, who, who had, who knew the language, the HTML, it was very mysterious. Most people didn't know this stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. Programs now, anybody can slow up a website, you know, <laughs> yeah. just with the software or whatever. But then, you know, it's like you had to know your, you had to know your code. And this dude knew his code and he knew his boxing and he loved boxing. And we met at the gym and we had the same trainer and we sparred together and all. So we, you know, we bonded like that, you know, and we started House of Boxing. Um, maybe it was late 97. If it wasn't late 97, it was early 1998. And we, we um, you know, we made, we created a, a, an online presence at the right time, like right at the height of venture capitalist interest in this new media. And um, it wasn't long. I mean, we were in existence for about a year and there was this uh, company from Canada that wanted to buy it you know, buy it, either pay us a bunch of money or pay us some money and hire us to run it, you know, and, and, and pay us like a full-time job. And um, we got a few off offers or whatever. Um, but during, I think during the summer of 99, we went up to Big Bear because we were close to Fernando Vargas. So we would go up there and he had a house there just like Oscar De La Hoya did, just like Mosley eventually did. Um, so we would go and we would spend a weekend in, in Big Bear and visit all the camps, visit where everybody was, if they would let us in or whatever. And Manny Stewart had opened up a Cronk gym, believe it or not, in, in Big Bear. And Shannon Briggs was training there for a fight against Francois Botha. And Botha was training with Abel Sanchez in Big Bear before Abel had the summit. You know, they were using a public gym. So they're like, man, both heavyweights are here. So one weekend we went up there and just devoted the weekend to, you know, accumulating, you know, taking photos, um, right, you know, getting interviews, um, and, and more importantly, uh, doing video, capturing video, which a lot of folks weren't doing at that time. And we did that, and Shannon got along with us, and Shannon, you know, Shannon's like a, and he should have been a pro wrestler. I mean, Absolutely. he's just got promos. <laughs> you know, no, and it's a good thing. It's, I'm not, I, I mean that in a good way. Absolutely. Uh, what a great guy what a great guy yep and he's got all these ideas and he's like you know i'm gonna do this and that and this and i want you to meet my manager and you guys got a good thing going here and when we showed him our website it was like this is a badass website of our interview with him and snippets from his camp and all that and he really liked it he's like man this is this is the future man i'm, gonna, I'm serious man i'm gonna talk to my i'm gonna talk to my manager a guy named mark roberts and um, he talked his manager into flying us into Atlantic City for the Briggs both a fight. And we were there. And I actually, I met Richard Sloan. Richard Sloan was part of the Kronk Gym at the time. As a matter of fact, Richard Sloan, they gave him 
uh, position on the the ring apron right next to the photographers, but he didn't have a he didn't have a camera. He was like sketching as the fight. It was the weirdest thing I ever saw. <laughs> it was like, I, I, you don't see that very often. But, yeah, it was fun and it was like um, it kind of got our feet wet and made us think like bigger because before before that we were, we kept it pretty local because the Southern California scene was so vibrant, you know, with the regular shows at the Forum and the Olympic and, you know, the young talent and, you know, the big star, you know, a lot of stars were in Southern, they were Southern Californians, Oscar De La Hoya and Fernando Vargas and Shane Mosley and, you know, all, the best fighters from Mexico would, would, you know, fight in LA or train in LA. So Eric Morales and Marco Antonio Barrera and the market. Came right Brothers. to my mind when you said that, yep. Yeah, you know, and, and we were watching these guys come up and all. So, but this is like, wow, the East Coast has got a scene too, you know? And um, that was a Showtime pay-per-view. And I met um, Jay Larkin, you know, big time network executive, totally down to earth, totally cool. You would have loved him. Um, could talk to you about anything, you know, uh, loves, you know, loved music, loved the arts. Um, and I remember going up to talk to him I don't even remember if it was for the story I was writing, if I had a, a tape recorder in my hand or just to say, give him my two cents on the fight. And he was totally cool and, and shared and all. And I met Bernard Hopkins after that fight. And he was like, nobody. I mean, he had been IBF middleweight champ for like four or five years, but he was still fighting for that recognition, you know, and, and just another face in the crowd. And, and matter of fact, we got him on, on camera analyzing the Briggs both a fight and he was I mean he was brilliant it was great but it really encouraged us you know and so when Roberts offered to buy the website you know we were like okay you know let's I mean we went back and forth with them and negotiate but then like we did that and once we did that it was basically a hobby became a full-time job so, so this uh going back to you, your original question I didn't become a full-time boxing writer until the start of 2000 so it's been 20 years but yeah. i started cutting my teeth and working just on a freelance level you know mid 90s aside from writing you've done uh, a great commentary with bernard hopkins who you were just mentioning i think it was the la fight club with golden boy that you guys were yeah, doing we did that that was a lot of fun that was 10 years ago shows. yeah those yeah were, that was uh nice i think that was I think those were 2009 and two, I think 2009 to 2011. And it was Bernard Hopkins and um, uh, Mario Solis and yes. myself. And, uh, and like those guys who were on that card or, you know, on those cards back then are either retired, you know, or they're not fighting anymore. You know, like right. Frankie Gomez. What happened to him? Right. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the standing room only was a good look, though. It was fun. And it was. A, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a fun look, man. It was it was cool. So speaking of being in rooms for fights, I got a couple more for you, and I'll let you get to your night, brother. Uh, yeah. What's the best fight? I know this is going to be really hard. You've been to a lot. That either you covered or seen. What What is the fight when when – if you have to show one of your buddies to come over the house that knows nothing about boxing – and you want to make them entertained, what's that fight you put on? Oh, probably Corrales Castillo won. That's hard to beat. I mean, that's like out of a movie. I mean, that was one of those fights where, like, you knew it would be good. And then, like, within three rounds, you're like, oh, my God, this is so good. 
I'm worried about these guys. And I think it was about the eighth round. And it was like, I remember looking around to the other folks uh, sitting on uh, press row and, and we're all saying that was round of the year, but we're probably going to get more like, like, you know, like, can they possibly push it any harder? Can they give any more? And then you had that 10th round that, I mean, if that was in a movie, it would be like, it would be exaggerated past the point of a Rocky movie, right? It's just like, no way. Like the fight would be over, right? You know, and the dude wouldn't pull it out the way Chico pulled it out. So that fight was so intense. It's like we all forgot that we were members of the media. And there was a lot of media there because the day before was the Boxing Writers Association of America, their annual awards dinner, right? Or awards banquet. And it wasn't like, it wasn't a sold out arena. It was at the Mandalay Bay. And um, I mean, maybe they had half, maybe half the arena was full, you know, uh, which is about 6,000. And out of that 6,000, you know, um, you know, maybe 3,500 paid for tickets. You know, everybody else was media. That was like, you know, the Boxing Writers Association was there. Everybody, and all the industry was there because of the association. Everybody was there to collect their awards or whatever and, you know, network and hobnob and all that kind of stuff. But um, when that fight ended, everybody there, everybody inside the event center was a fan. You know, we forgot. We totally forgot that we were writing on deadline. I and mean, everybody jumped up and either yelled, unbelievable, or were, like, just cursing. Holy, Holy fucking shit. shit. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. I don't fucking, like, what the fuck? Fuck, you know, oh, we're all, style, like, oh my god, yeah, oh my god, <laughs> yeah, it was sweating and just like drained and just like, good lord, like this, nothing beats this. And like, there's fights like that. There was the, the rubber match between Barrera and Morales, which was a terrific fight, fight Amazing of the year, fight. Fight, yeah, where the final seconds of round 12, everybody gradually, uh, at press row. Stood and applauded them and it wasn't just for that fight it was for their trilogy mm-hmm. and it was for their careers to that point it was just this acknowledgement like we are seeing great fighters who were fighting each other and giving us great fights and um, i agree i was you at, get these for, fights for Gotti ward i was at uh one and three of their trilogy i didn't make it to two both fights of the year Oh my goodness, dude! The third one too. Yeah. Like I said, a lot of people sleep on that one, man. That was oh. and that was ringside for that my one. Drama. Yeah. Oh my god! And then Gotti yeah, goes no, down late, and I'm like, what is? Yeah. That? And his arm was. Yeah, and, you, and you're asking yourself. Yeah, you're asking yourself. What could Mickey Ward possibly have left? He had. He has had so many wars. Oh We've forgotten him. We've like oh he's been god. in fight of the year candidate wars. We don't even remember, like his his, his ten rounder with Antonio Diaz. Yes, that sir. was bonkers. Yes, sir. I mean, that was just like we forget, like you know, um, you know, we just remember some of the wars, but he was in so many wars. Um, so, so incredible. As, as was Gotti, as was Gotti, and so you oh. were like, can these guys go to the well one more time? And they just and they did it, you know, and they did it without hating each other. You know, it wasn't like a Barrera Morales. Oh. 
Gotti gives uh, Mickey Ward the water after the third fight, you know, shares his water with him. Like, I mean, come on. The, the, only in boxing do you get those moments. And uh, speaking of sports in general, do you do you watch any other sports outside of boxing? Not really, boxing. man. No, I, used I love to, it. I, I used to like college hoops. Um, you know, I, I would watch I would watch football, you know, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, you know, we would go to games. You know, I, I went, I don't even remember the games, but when the Cincinnati Reds were the big red machine, you know, with Pete Rose and, and Johnny Bench. Oh, and man. Joe Morgan, who just passed away. Um, I was at those games, but I, I was a kid. <laughs> I was more, you know, I, you know, whatever, it was bat day or, you know, we get a pennant to take home and put on the wall. And uh, I remember driving there and driving back. You know, we lived in Columbus, and so we'd drive, it was about an hour and a half drive to Cincinnati, but um you know, I now nothing has cap, ca- captured my imagination or captivated me the way boxing did, and I don't know if that's because of just timing of you know coming of age when Muhammad Ali had you know outlived his controversy and was just like totally embraced by you know the the the, the late seventies era America. You know what I mean? Um, I liked, I was always into Olympic sports. Um, I was always into track and field, um, especially late seventies and throughout the eighties. But, and I would seriously geek out on that stuff, but you know, something about boxing um, and it's, it's the fighters, it's the peripheral characters, the trainers, something it, it's, it, it's um, I can see how it lends itself to literature um, and film because just the, there's just so many stories with it and it's, it's characters, right? And there's a, there's an, uh, an old timer, uh, 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 he should be in the hall of fame. I keep voting for him, but he's a publicist named Bill Kaplan. And he was George Foreman's publicist and a longtime publicist for top rank. And he works with golden boy and the WBC. I mean, he's in his eighties now. Um, but we were talking on the phone and he was saying, um, he said, Hey, I miss going to the fights. I miss, uh, what, how did he phrase it? He said, I miss, he said, I, I, said, I miss the oddballs, the good guys and bad guys <laughs> that are boxing. You said that. that. I was like, that's, almost, that's, like almost, a, that's yep. almost a title yep. of a book. Oddballs, good guys and bad guys. And they're there you all, go, right there. the bad guys are as fascinating as the good guys and the oddballs are as fascinating as, the two on the polar opposite ends, you know. What I love about boxing is that a lot of things, obviously, it's a world sport. So you have so many different cultures, so many different peoples, people from different walks of life. And then plus you also have at its best, like we were talking about Castillo Corrales, Gotti Ward, look at Holyfield Bo, you know, like run back some of those fights in the history, like even Foreman versus Ron Lyle. When it's at its best, is there any sport that's better and more dramatic it's unbelievable. Yeah, nope. I mean, and I imagine if you're a hardcore MMA fan, you might have some MMA fights or UFC fights or fights from the old Pride League that you could show us that are like bonkers or whatever. But um, yeah, I don't know. MMA doesn't resonate with me the way boxing resonates. Uh, I don't here. know why that is. I'm a fan. And it's, but... and it's, yep. Yeah, I, I I will watch it. I, I will watch it casually. I appreciate it. But yeah, I don't know. And I, you know, I, I like it. I mean, I like the fact that I'll still get attached to a particular fighter, you know, like, like Chocolatito. Like, I'm just like, 
and you know, and I'm privileged and honored to be a member of the media to where I can meet these guys and their trainers or their, their you know, their, their managers or whatever and get in touch with them or whatever. And I mean, I got Chocolatito sent me this, you know, oh, somebody did the, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, to get a, a, a picture of the dude, but I'm telling you, I, I, I said, I, I tweeted this out at the start of his fight. I'm nervous every time he fights. And it used to be he was so on top of his game. I just wanted to watch him fight because he was dominant and I knew he was going to crush all opposition. This goes back to when he was a straw weight and then later a junior flyweight. And then I got lucky enough to see him live a couple times here in the LA area. And then he went on to, to fly weight and he was still a badass, but you know, he had to work for his victories. And then, you know, he steps up to a fourth weight class, super fly weight or junior bantamweight, 115 pounds. And uh, he had, you know, the, the guy he fights is Carlos Quadras, who was tough. He was unbeaten like 35 pro yeah, fights. Great. And that happened in my hometown here in Inglewood at, at the forum. And um, he won the fight. And I remember his face was, I mean, he was tore up and he was tired. And I'm thinking, I, you know, his next fight could be his last fight, you know. Um, and it turned out, you know, because his mandatory was Sri Saketsor Rungvasai who was a total beast. And a lot of people didn't know that, but so Rungvasai is a monster. And he's a, he's a big junior bantamweight. He's not a, a, a guy who started out at 105 pounds. And I was in New York City for that fight, that first fight, because it was the co-feature to Golovkin, Daniel Jacobs. You know, sold out Madison Square Garden, fight of the year candidate. Um, just like amazing. But in one fight's also just like, Self, whatever Chocolatito had left, he gave it in this fight, right? You know, he's cut, he's dropped early, he's taking these big punches, he works his ass off. I thought he deserved the decision, he didn't get it, but I remember feeling nervous as hell for him going into that rematch <laughs> and him looking nervous as hell walking walk into the ring uh, in what, Carson, California. He knew what time it was, he knew what he was up against there. He knew what he was gonna feel. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, how do you, how do these guys do this when they know it? Like, I don't have it, and this guy's got my number, and it's, and he ain't a cutie. He ain't gonna outbox me in there. He's gonna decapitate me, and you still like, no, I gotta do it. I gotta get in there, and he, and he does it. But I remember how I felt watching him get taken out, and just like, you know, and and you know, you're happy for Sir Rungvisai, you know, beautiful man, you know what I mean? And it's, a, yeah, it's, it's a, a Cinderella story for him. But, um, you know, then thinking, oh, he should just walk off into the sunset. And then he decides to come back and you're like, yeah, he fights a couple of journeymen and doesn't quite, he doesn't look like himself. It's like, oh, man. You know, so now, you know, hey, this has been a, a great year for him because he regained a title against the undefeated young guy in February against Cal Yafai. Mm -hmm. I was nervous that entire fight. Even when he's dominating Yafai, I was nervous as shit. Like you're, you're, yeah, you're a fan. You get emotionally. Don't run into something. Yeah, I, I get that way with yeah. with, with uh, Holyfield from back in the day when he was fighting. Uh, oh, yeah. Certain guys you get like that with, you know, Arturo Gotti, of course. Sure. You know, like, and I'm like, oh yeah. man, here we go. Like when he fought De La Hoya, me and my father, who got me into boxing, we're watching that fight, and we knew it was not going to be good for Arturo. We knew this was going to be terrible, yeah. and then we got like confirmation, yeah. like right yeah. away, like. Oh, like no, <laughs> that, that one fifteen. Uh, you know the guys we were talking about with Quadras. You know 
uh, Sarung yeah. Vasai, uh, Chocolatito, yeah. you know, Estrada. I mean, that's been an incredible yeah. division when we look at it. You know, uh, it's funny because Styles, we it, talked They've given us a round topics. Yeah. Styles makes Yeah, I like them. I really mean that. that. That tweet about them getting into a time machine and going back to 1940. Like, I like, I like for, for starters, they're complete fighters. They're complete fighters. They understand the nuances and uh, finer points of boxing. But they got balls, man. They got heart. And they're going <laughs> to stick your nose in it. And if they get cut or they get hurt or whatever, they're just like, they double down. And uh, they've all, those four guys, uh, Sorungvisai, Quadras, Estrada, and Chocolatito, they've all fought each other. And Brian Valoria is kind of somewhere in the mix. You know, maybe he's like the Benitez, you know, the four kings or whatever. But, mm -hmm. but um, yeah. there's a lot of, there's, there's so much talent there. And yeah, now we got some young, some blue with uh, uh, Joshua Franco. And he's going to do uh, – he's, he's got a rematch with uh, 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 Andrew Maloney, which in the first fight was really good. Um, and some of these guys, the younger guys, maybe they can go to 118 and mix it up with them there. But I, I like, I like the, the, the sub-featherweights, man. They, they just – and it's not like they're asking for Fort Knox, you know, when they fight or whatever. It's not like, nah, 10 million, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny with the Styles makes fights. Like we saw, you know, Estrada tonight – with Quadras, you know, they had a hell of a fight. They had a great fight the first time, great fight the second time, high-action fight. They both beat Varungvasai, Sarungvasai. So then, you know, yeah, yeah and then, but they both, you know, lost to Chocolatito. And then, right. you know, Chocolatito gets knocked out by Sarungvasai. It's like, it's who's going to win on what day? It's like, you don't know. Yeah. Uh, tonight was a great display. I want to wrap it up with that. I mean, we, we had one of the fights of the year tonight. Zapita and Baranchek was holy shit. What the fuck? Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> Dude, my girlfriend left the house, my wife left the house, and you know, I, I had to call her like right away. She she went to go shop or whatever. I'm like, I am watching the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever seen in boxing. <laughs> She's like, What are you talking yeah. about? How much have you had to drink? I'm like, not much at all. <laughs> and everyone's just getting shit faced, like going down. I'm like, what is happening? What do we have there, Doug? Yeah. Eight knockdowns? Yeah, four apiece. Yeah, and it was it, it's 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 one of those fights. If you would have asked me who's gonna win, I've got a lot of respect for Zapeda, but what he said after the fight, I've always kind of felt about him. Like he didn't have a hundred percent confidence or he would doubt himself, right? Because I thought like the fight with Ramirez was there to win, and he didn't seize it in the championship rounds. And he kind of knew he had to. He's in the he's in Ramirez's hometown or home region. You know, it's like fifteen thousand fans cheering for Ramirez. You got to know, dude. You got to you are gonna have to empty the tank. And I know Baranchek is not the perfect fighter, but he's so strong. He's so powerful. He's so dangerous. And I know he's he's hungry. He's like he had a title and he lost it. And I, I, I know that he's like, he's desperate to get back in that situation. It's a title elimination bout. So I'm like, Baranchek's going to be killed or be killed. And I thought Baranchek was just going to clip him and, and, and take out Cepeda. And he drops Cepeda twice in the first round. And I'm thinking, yeah, Baranchek's going to steamroll Cepeda. But with the start of the second round, Zepeda, Zepeda starts nailing him. And I'm noticing, man, Zepeda's not even breathing heavy. And his eyes are clear, and he's 
seeing everything. And, and I was like, this guy has got poise under fire. <laughs> and that like impressed me like more than his, his, his sharpshooting. The accuracy was the fact that he was under duress. Like there was a guy with a search and destroy mission really throwing some throwing rocks, man. And he's just, you know, with that southpaw stance sitting there and, and, and letting the hands go at the right time and showing he had power. And by the, so by the end of the second round, I don't know who's going to win. Like I come in with the preconceived notion, like, oh, Baranchik's going to get him. You know, he's hungry. Zapata, I don't know. And then Zapata shows me, no, dude, I'm hungry too. And, and I've got, I've got the balance and technique and accuracy that this better, you know? And so, but yeah, it was a real special. That's what I, that's what you call a shootout. And those are special because it's like, it's a gunfight. Like the old West. It was West. unbelievable. You know, like we're all under quarantine nowadays. So like, you know, when your better half gets to go out of the house, the last thing you want to do is blow them up. You know, if they're going to the supermarket, hanging out with their friends, whatever, you want to just let them do their thing. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Yeah. Like she was gone for like 15 <laughs> minutes. I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm like, you have no idea what I'm watching right now. She's like, what, is everything okay? I'm like, this fight is crazy because- I couldn't believe the ebb and flow. And my brain, even though I, I feel I could comprehend boxing, I, I couldn't handle it. And then, like, before yeah. we get to the last round, I'm like, okay, I think Baranchek's got this. And then he does right. his thing. And then next thing you know, Zapita comes back and just nails him. And I, was, yeah. I, I, I went out on my balcony. I had to have an immediate cigar. It's almost the same way I felt <laughs> when I watched Gotti Ward. Like, I got asked this question on CBS radio with Rafe and uh, Brian Campbell, uh, Rafe Bartholomew and Brian Campbell uh, about a month ago uh, when they were doing State yeah. of Combat. Now they're doing Mortal Combat, uh, Morning Combat, rather. And so they, they were saying, like, what's the greatest fight you've ever been attendance at? And I was like, well, Gotti Ward. But it took me, like, I, when I left the casino that night in Connecticut, I was like, man, this was nuts. Like, I really need to go home and... and get confirmation on what i've seen and then i hear many story. Yeah. oh and i'm like okay yeah this is this is yeah. for real for real <laughs> you know like it wasn't some kind of dream fantasy like when you get a fight I, like that it, it, you it's almost like too much to process you know yeah. especially if you're watching oh, yeah. every I, nuance you were talking about you were asking me about great fights and favorite fights that i've been at the the rubber match between Israel Vasquez and Rafael Marquez. And I thought Marquez would have Vasquez's number, you know, from the very first fight. And yeah. all three fights, I, I rode with Marquez. I just thought he was the bigger puncher or the more accurate. Like he was, like I viewed Marquez um, like Jose Cepeda to Vasquez's Baranchik, right? Like Vasquez is a brawler. He's strong. He brings it. He's got balls, you know, but Marquez is just like heat level boxer puncher. And, um, you know, obviously Vasquez proved me wrong, but I was feeling like a genius because after the rematch, which was won by um, uh, Vasquez, everybody was going with Vasquez uh, with the rubber match. They were just saying he's just too big and strong, too good of a chin for, for Marquez. And I still stuck with Marquez and I picked Marquez by decision. So, and I, and Mike's scorecard, he was ahead on the score, uh, on the, you know, narrowly, but ahead going into the 12th and final round. So that 12th and final round, Vasquez comes out like with superhuman energy. Like, I don't know where he got it, but he summons up this like 
ultimate warrior spirit and scores a knockdown and, and really, really works over, you know, a very game Marquez and, and rightfully wins a narrow decision. And I remember, you know, it's outside, it's at the old stub hub, you know, uh, you know, 8,000 8, sold out and the crowd is going nuts. The fight is over and I've got a laptop in front of me and I'm like, nothing I write is going to do this justice. No. Like I was so in mm -hmm. awe and just like, you know, that emotional roller coaster. I'm just like, I don't know how that guy did it. I don't know what I just watched. I don't know how these guys could summon so much courage and, and fight through what they fight through and, and, and have that kind of hunger. It's like, I, you know, I, 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 I can't, my words can't do it justice. You know what I mean? And literally I just had to sit back, you know, in the crowd and everyone's jumping around and yeah. talking or whatever. And I just said, I gotta be quiet and compose myself and wait 10 minutes yeah, you got to digest it. Fight it, from takes, the heart. it takes a while to comprehend something yeah. like that, where you got to digest it. Even to this day, it's like when I think about and I watch classic fights that we were talking about, obviously we mentioned some really great ones. I mean, th those four fights, I mean, obviously the first three with uh, Vasquez Marquez were, were the ones that stand out the most. The fourth one was kind of like, I'm, I'm, I hate to say that Vasquez was washed, but obviously he had eye damage. He, he was in trouble yeah. uh, going into that fight. But, I mean, when you watch those fights, especially the first and the third one, it's just like, this is, people, human beings could do this? Yeah. And you think about cardio and conditioning, which we saw tonight, you know, with the aforementioned yeah. fighters we saw on the zone, which is unbelievable. Yeah. On the, the amount of conditioning to constantly throw punches and constantly, the combinations and return yeah. fire and counter punching with combinations in sequence? Oh, man. So... When you look at that, and that's why, you know, guys like Dougie Fisher out there, you know, I'm out there. Uh, a lot of great people I've had on this week. And, you know, this is why we love the sport of boxing. So I encourage anyone, absolutely. you know, to, to absolutely go through the history. And, guys, we got good things to come. Boxing will be back on track. It has started already the process. And I hope that not only in boxing, but in life moving forward, that everything just gets better better <laughs> you know like and you know tonight is a night where we get reminded how great it is absolutely, absolutely. Dougie, i cannot you know thank you enough for coming on dude it just means oh, thanks for having me dude yeah anytime man. i appreciate you brother